0: Good evening, good evening, good evening, and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets Podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee. I'm a Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at Loco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, we're going to be continuing our journey through Winnipeg's first several entry drafts up until the present time, and that includes tonight's episode, which will include the 2013 NHL entry draft. Speaking of NHL drafts, Winnipeg actually does have some brand new fresh news, which uh, of course is probably surprising to some folks because right now we're kind of in a holding pattern. I mean, COVID-19 has basically shut down most of the NHL's operations. So in the meantime, news is pretty thin and, and far between. Leave it to the Jets, however, to tidy up a piece of outstanding business, and that is signing Dylan Sandberg to a three-year entry-level contract that will start next season. This is a big deal, folks. Sandberg is one of Winnipeg's top four prospects, possibly top three depending on what, how you view his, uh, I guess, his trajectory and potential ceiling. But I think that there is a lot of reason to be very excited about Winnipeg closing this deal for a couple of reasons. I think the first is that we all know that Winnipeg's defensive, let's just say their lineup and, and defensive core is pretty weak right now. When Sandberg was drafted, he was kind of an intriguing mixture of physical presence and build. Uh, and, and obviously he did have some pretty decent skills, like his skating was fine. He did have some minor offensive instincts, but not a whole lot that was established at a level higher than, say, Minnesota high school hockey. Now, all of this said, he was accepted to the University of Minnesota Duluth program for the Bulldogs, which, if you know their program, they were national champions, I believe it was last season. So, going to the Bulldogs is a rather notable honor, and I think it says a lot about how... Uh, Minnesota's scouts felt about Sandberg's game. Even before then I thought he was pretty decent alongside Adam Fox with the U.S. National Dev Team and U.S. Under-18 World Juniors programs. Now, obviously Fox is a a cut above most players, and in any of the World Juniors championships that he's played in you know, Fox is a standout kid. That said... I did feel that Sandberg was actually doing more than his fair share in the defensive partnership, even if he was more on the defensive side and perhaps protecting the puck more so than actively creating a lot of transition and driving offense. That part of his game definitely took flight this season, and he had 21 points in 28 games, which is pretty good. I have to say that for a 21-year-old Minnesota Duluth defenseman, that's not bad at all, especially for a guy who only played 28 games this season. He's also apparently been putting a lot of shots on net, and I'm sure that his skating is likely improved, which, I mean, his skating was pretty okay to begin with, so it's not like he needed to to really refine that all that much. Sandberg, though, was kind of somebody who, when he was drafted, was perhaps a little bit raw uh, as far as finished prospects are concerned, but that's why he was taken at 43 overall in the second round. And even then, some people felt that that was perhaps a bit of an overdraft. Sandberg, though, is starting to suggest that he might have been better as a fringe first-round pick, and I'm excited to see what he can do, especially with this defense that's not really, well, NHL caliber right now. He will probably start off with the Moose next year. Uh, Barring a surprise, I don't know if he's going to be able to make this team out of camp. Not that he isn't going to be good enough, I just think that the Jets probably have um, a little bit more hesitance in throwing him to the deep end, because if he made the Jets... My guess is he would probably beat out guys like Potato, Sabisa, yada 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 in talent, but maybe not experience. And we all know that Maurice tends to favor experience above all else, which is probably why Sandberg would be better served getting a lot more minutes, at least to start off with, at the Moose level. I think he needs to prove that he can play at the pro level pretty quickly, and I think he's very capable of doing that. And if he does well, I think that he'll get a call-up sooner rather than later. All in all, very tidy. Glad the Jets got him signed. I was I was getting a little bit nervous just because it was starting to get to the point where you wonder if he was thinking about going back to Minnesota, which to me would signal that he's not going to be going to the Jets anytime soon, if at all. You know, some guys are will test free agency. It's becoming more of a trend in recent times, and it's totally fine, but it's just as far as the Jets were concerned, they really needed to get Sandberg under contract because he's one of our prized pigs as far as defensive prospects go, and I think that he'll be... Both a a gritty, hard-working defenseman that that Paul Maurice will like, but he'll also be good, which is something that the Jets don't have enough of. He can certainly move the puck, if nothing else, so that's a huge boon, and I think that he'll be easily a top-four defenseman for the Jets in the long term. Uh, What he probably grades out as is a number-three or a number-four defenseman, which obviously is is not top-pairing quality, perhaps, but I think that the Jets are going to be very happy with his performance. I think that if you have a top-four of say, Morrissey, Pionk, and Heinola Sandberg, as well as Niku somewhere in there, and you can fill in the rest with uh, different guys like Chisholm, Givanki um, Kovacevic. I think that the Jets are going to have an actual robust amount of defensemen to draw from. So I think the bigger question is who won't make the cut, and I think that that's going to be a very difficult decision for the Jets to figure out because, you know, I, I know that they... They have a lot of depth guys right now, but they don't have many top four guys. And I think that it's going to be challenging to figure out which of the prospect pool could could really play elevated minutes. Because I think if the season has shown us, Tucker Pullman's not really capable of that. It's not really his fault either. I just think that he's being asked to do a lot. And even Josh Morrissey is struggling. And that's that's kind of an issue when Morrissey is, at least in some respects, your best overall defenseman. I think that this year he obviously took something of a step back, which we'll talk about in in a short while. But overall, I think Winnipeg's defensive unit really needs Samberg's youth and talent, and I think that he'll be a fan favorite because um, even when he was drafted, I thought that he gave really funny interviews. He had a, a kind personality, it seemed like, a little bit wide-eyed. But his, his on-ice results for Minnesota lead me to, to believe that he really is second-pairing and potentially high-end second-pairing Uh, material if not even fringe first pairing I don't know that he's going to be that good but he might he's improved a lot and I think that he represents a a very good piece of this Jets future core and you know the timing couldn't be better getting him under contract now is fantastic getting him for three years is even better which is you know every ELC right but I think just I I would have taken a year of him if just to get him under contract so Getting three years, of course, is going to be good value, especially as we start nearing the time when Jets are going to have to think about Seattle's expansion draft and all that good stuff. If nothing else, getting him to commit is also a great sign for Winnipeg's drafted college kids because, you know, a lot of guys have tested free agency recently and there was no guarantee that he was going to commit to Winnipeg, even though he said he had thoughts about it. Makes me very happy. And speaking of very happy, in just a moment we're going to take a look at the 23-entry draft, which actually has a couple of the names I mentioned previously in this episode, and uh, some of them are going to be very familiar to y'all. Kicking us off is defenseman Josh Morrissey, who was selected 13th overall in the first round from the Prince Albert Raiders. And Morrissey doesn't really need that much of an introduction. We all know that when he was with Truba, and at various other times with, I think, Dustin Bufflin, Morrissey looked very good. Uh, obviously a bonafide top-four defenseman with smart defensive instincts and in an occasionally sneaky shot with pretty good skating. I think he's got great lateral movement. His positioning when he was with guys who could move the puck aggressively, pretty smart. Just a really well-balanced, well-rounded defenseman. And when paired with a quality right-handed D who can move the puck, he'll look like a top, uh, you know, top echelon left-handed defenseman. But then this season happened and it kind of made me wonder exactly what do we really grade Morrissey as? And I think that that question's very complicated because Morrissey to me didn't really look right this year. I think that there were a lot of complicating things. I think the first being that he wasn't really ready to be apart from somebody like Bufflin or or Jacob Truba. Those guys do a lot to carry the puck and control the puck as well as drive possession from the back end. So I think that Morrissey wasn't really ready for a top-pairing spot, despite the fact that he has played on top pairings before, but with guys who he doesn't have to do the bulk of the work with. You know, for all of Truba's defensive issues and lapses, the one thing that is true is that he was often spearheading zone entries and offensive zone attacking, which let Morrissey be be more of a complementary piece. And I think that that changeover in duties and responsibilities to where Morrissey has to facilitate more of that wasn't working out as much as we anticipated. I think it's also true to suggest that Morrissey just looked injured this season. I thought that he was slow. I thought that his reads were pretty late. I think that there were a lot of issues where he seemed kind of confused in coverage and a little bit hesitant to use certain parts of his bodies in his positioning or his checking. Anything like that was is very strange to me. I think that this season, on the whole, was an aberration. And I hope it's not really a trend, because if it is a trend... The Jets may have some issues going forward. Maybe Josh just needs a reduction in ice time, and things will work themselves out from there. But I, I think that there are legitimate reasons to be mildly concerned about what exactly Morrissey is for this team because they just ex- they just extended him for I think eight years. Granted, it's you know five million, which, given how much they use him and stuff, and how much value he has historically provided, fair value, pretty good deal overall. It's just if if this year is more of what we're actually. Going to see from him going forward, then that eight years is going to look a lot worse very quickly. I will say personally that I I don't think that that's going to happen. I think that Morrissey will probably recover at least some of his form and be more like a quality high-end second-pairing defenseman, maybe even fringe first-pairing as well. I just, you know, for a variety of reasons, do have some mild concerns about where the Jets go from here because if if he really isn't as good as we thought he was, and this is more like what he really is... Then the Jets are going to have to figure out where their top pairing defenseman is going to come from because Heinola is only one guy, and Heinola hasn't really been given top pairing minutes yet, even though it looks like he'll be capable of taking those on down the road. At this point, all we can do is cross our fingers. But you know, you know, Morrissey has played 288 games for the Jets, and I think that in the previous, uh, you know, couple of seasons, Morrissey has been far better than he's shown. So I'm I'm optimistic that this is just a brief setback but we'll know soon enough. The guy taken after Morrissey, Nick Patan, from the Portland Winter Hawks at pick number 43, has experienced a lot more hardship as far as playing for the Jets is concerned. If you want to talk about a guy whose career has been up and down, up and down, up and down, Patan is probably the, the poster child for fringe tweeners who possessed immense talent but for whatever reason just couldn't find you know, his way onto an NHL team with any regularity. When you look at Batan's numbers with Portland, it's obvious that this dude is just an eye-popping talent with tons of offensive skill, amazing vision, great passing, pretty strong skating, just a lot to like from him. And when he's played at the pro level, things have at least under the hood looked very good. Uh, he's actually played a season-high 54 games with Winnipeg uh, as recently as 2016-17. But for the most part, he's bounced between the AHL and NHL, playing arguably more games at the uh the hl level in recent times than he has at the nhl level the thing with patan is i think that he tends to look like a guy who's not really skating as hard or trying as much for a couple of reasons and i think the first is that patan's immensely talented he doesn't have to do a whole lot to build a great setup and create play from any position on the ice that he is At least that's how it appears on the face of it. Whenever I saw him, I actually thought that he was pretty aggressive in back-checking and trying to disrupt plays, even though he's a small dude. He's not that tall. He's 5'9", actually, and, and, you know, 175, so he's not a big guy. But I feel like he had arguably better defensive positioning and, I think, a a, a savvier brain than people gave him credit for. Patan is a very smart forward, and he kind of plays a game that I think is perhaps maybe too cerebral. A lot of people saw him and thought, here's this small, shrimpy dude who puts up massive numbers in junior, puts up pretty good numbers with the AHL club, but then comes to the NHL team and doesn't really do a whole lot. But I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he never really was given, at least consistently, a role where he was allowed to solidify chemistry and remain more than just like a bottom six fixture. You know, at the AHL level, you can find highlights of Patan doing just absolutely ridiculous passes and things, and, and fairly frequently. It's not like these were rare occurrences. Patan was capable of, of doing things like between the leg setup passes, and nutmegs, almost with relative ease, and I think that his vision and ability to essentially spatially map out the ice very quickly and make a play, you know, in that space that he's now mentally projected in made him an exceptional talent. But for a variety of reasons especially with the Jets, none of that ever really materialized into something that I think Jets fans felt was going to be a long-term boost for the team. I also feel that he got on Maurice's bad side, and that just never really went away. So now he's with the Toronto Maple Leafs and Marlies, and with the Marlies as of this year, in 25 games, he had 31 points, and I think that is just enough evidence to suggest that he really doesn't deserve to be in the AHL, and I think that If you give him talented finishers, his point totals are going to climb. Every time he's on the ice, uh, at least before he went to Toronto, I think the Toronto since has been a little bit rough, but when he was with Winnipeg or with the Moose, he was constantly a positive play driver, and I think that that's a big deal. I think that there aren't enough guys in the league who do what he does, especially in transition and set up play inside the offensive zone. So I think for Patan, finding a way to earn more ice time, even though he's now turning 25, uh, you know, I think that's going to be critical for whatever future career success he has. I still root for him, even though I know the lo- the the odds are pretty long. And if he'll find a team like, say, Colorado that can really give him some ice time and take a chance on him, I think they'll be very happy with what he can offer. The next few picks were Eric Comrie, Jimmy Lodge, and J. C. Leppan. Eric Comrie is, is arguably the most successful of the three, and Comrie rounded up the second. Uh, second round of the 2013 draft at pick number 59. Now, Comrie is kind of a a bit of a cautionary tale in understanding goalie evaluation. And I think it's, it's complicated because goalies are often said to be voodoo, which is in some respects a little bit overstated, but also not entirely false. Uh, Goalies are, are hard to get year over year repeatable results. There are very few goalies who consistently provide added value to their, their respective teams. Henrik Lundqvist is one. If there was deeper analysis, I think Dominic Hasek would have been way up there. Uh, beyond that, consistent starters in, in the NHL. It's its pretty hard to find guys who are, are consistently excellent. Steve Mason, when he was healthy, was pretty good after he got fixed with, I think, uh, the, the Flyers. But beyond that, it's just hard to find goalies who are year-over-year year good. And Eric Comer was somebody that people thought would be year-over-year year good. He has a lot of the traits that you would think, uh, the, uh, at least as far as like a future starting t- talented goaltender would be concerned. He has incredible athleticism, he's got very fast skating, his vision and his reads are or at least were at, at lower levels very good and yet when he got to the AHL and beyond there just wasn't really a whole lot there that ever coalesced into something that was more than like an AHL starter. And even by AHL starter standards, he's only been subpar. I don't think that there's anything to write home about his overall performance, which is kind of disappointing because I felt like Conry deserved better than he's gotten, but unfortunately, I just don't think he's shown it enough to be more than a bit of a disappointment. Detroit took him on and then immediately waived him just a few games after, and he's not really done anything more for the Jets since then. He's even being shined by, uh, outshined by Mikhail Berdin. So, not great for Comrie. I don't know if it's going to take some goalie whisperer to kind of work with him and get his mechanics to a state where you can arguably play him at a pro level because I think in a lot of ways he's still very raw, and he just doesn't look like he's progressed at the level that you'd expect at this this stage in his career. The other guys include Jimmy Lodge and J.C. Lepon, and I'll be honest, I have no idea what happened to Jimmy Lodge after he left, I think, the St. John's Icecaps or even if he played for the Manitoba Moose. I, I don't remember looking at his record apparently he did spend quite a few games with the ECHL squads like Jacksonville and and more recently Toledo but after that he apparently went over to uh, Slovakia which is definitely a league of some sort i don't know anything about Slovakian hockey other than that it's most certainly not high end uh not particularly high end north american hockey Lodge was another dude who was sort of on the bigger side and and tall, but not like super thick or anything, just kind of a lanky, tall, uh, powerful, I think he was a center, although I don't know if he ever played wing, but I think that they kind of thought of him as like some sort of middle six center. He was always a fringe prospect, didn't really pan out, and uh, never really got a a cup of tea with the Jets. So unfortunate that he didn't really pan out, but you look at his, his OHL numbers and not a whole lot stands out there. Just an okay, if average, center. His most successful pro season was with the Jacksonville Icemen a few years ago, where he had 49 points in 57 games, but since then, not really doing a whole lot. So I, I think that at this stage, he's probably, at most, like a fringe, fringe fifth liner. Lepan has technically had a much more successful career in the sense that he's managed to stick around. Lepan is basically, in my opinion at least, Brendan Lemieux but not really effective at the NHL level. LePan is physical, he fights a lot, he draws a lot of penalty minutes, and, I mean, that's fine. It's just, I think as far as the NHL trajectory is concerned, he doesn't really possess any high-end skills, and most of his goals are like the grindery, uh, energy-checking type that, that come from dirty, greasy moments and things where you can sort of capitalize on rebounds and whatnot. LePan works at the AHL level, but... You know, Lemieux is kind of gifted with having, at least for uh, the Rangers and, and at times the Jets, a really vicious nose for the net. Lepan wasn't able to really replicate that at the NHL level. He only had a couple of games with the Jets in 15-16, but even then, I don't think that he ever really stood out beyond just being a guy who looked probably a bit in over his head. And to me, that's fine. I mean, he's like a late, late, late third rounder. And, uh, you know, these guys oftentimes are are pretty fringe picks, not really somebody that you anticipate making your team. So in my opinion, I think it's fine. I think that you need guys like LaPon who can be productive with consistency on your farm teams. I don't think that I would put him in like a top six in an AHL squad, even though that's often where he has played. But I get why the the Moose have done that. I would probably say that he maybe has gotten a bit too much ice time in his career, but I know that he works hard, and I think that that tends to resonate a lot with um, hockey coaches and whatnot. You uh, you never question his work ethic or his effort. He definitely gives you 100%, even if that energy is occasionally directed into the boards or into a fight rather than going for goal. Even still, I mean, he's like a 25 to 30 point AHL forward. That's not bad. It's not great either, but it's it's just kind of like, a it's it's average. If you want stats from him, though, he's definitely something of a fighter and a bruiser. I mean, he's, he's racked over 100 penalty minutes for almost every season since 2013-14, except for one year, and that was with 15-16 uh, Manitoba Moose when he had like 10 games with the Jets. That is some frightening consistency, I must say, but, you know, obviously all of those fights and stuff didn't really help keep him up at the uh, NHL level, so I think you can kind of guess what role he plays, and it's, it's not really a high-end offensive role. We're going to stop there with Lepan Tomorrow night, we're going to address the rest of the NHL 2013 draft, which includes Andrew Kopp, Jan Kostelek, Tucker Pullman, Brendan Keikden, and Marcus Karlstrom, which I actually forgot Marcus Karlstrom even existed much less Brennan Kighton, or Kighton, something like that. Hope you folks have enjoyed another Blaster in the past. I anticipate we have a Game Worn Collector interview sometime this week. Might be on Friday or so, and I think we're going to have a little bit of a theme going with, you know, best season in a a Game Worn Collector's memory. It might not specifically involve a, a jersey necessarily, but it is always nice to talk to other fans who have fond memories from their teams of seasons past that have defined either their own fandom or perhaps sometimes even their own collection. Be sure to stay tuned for that, keep an eye out, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Thanks so much for listening. Before you log off for the night, be sure to check out our Locked On NHL National show. Give uh, our wonderful host Sarah Anvampato your support. Thanks so much for listening, have a great night, and go Jets go!